Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. Today's episode, we're going to talk about gun violence prevention. What is it that we need to be thinking about? What do we need to know about? What legislation do we need to be pushing for to prevent mass shootings like El Paso and Dayton or to prevent the ongoing gun violence that we see across our nation? We have with us today two volunteers from Moms Demand Action. We have Glenda Lay and Kim Westerman. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So maybe we can start with just a little bit about the context, like Moms Demand Action. How does that connect to every town? Yeah, so uh, Moms Demand Action was founded, it'll be seven years ago in December, right after the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, It was founded by a stay-at-home mom, Shannon Watts, who was looking in the aftermath of that for some sort of grassroots organization uh, that she could plug into and start working on this issue and she couldn't find anything. Um, so she started a Facebook page and it just took off. And because there was so such a, a movement in the country of people wanting sensible gun legislation. Um, and so from there, it, she kind of modeled this on Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, that that sort of grassroots movement of, of mothers who are really powerful people uh, with a lot of skills as far as organizing and all of that. Um, and so it, it it really took off. And now we have chapters in all 50 states um, and about 6 million supporters across the country. Um, and then it, it we teamed up through Every Town for Gun Safety with Mayors Against Illegal Guns, which was founded by Michael Bloomberg. Um, and now Every Town is sort of our parent organization with these grassroots volunteers working for together beneath it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great for people to understand those the context so that they can think about how they can plug in. Mm-hmm. Because I know that I've seen after the mass shootings or some incident happens that hits close to home for folks, people are, they're looking for a place to get involved or get plugged in. And uh, so I, that's part of why we we want to make more public, right? Like how you can plug in the orgs that you right. can connect with. Um, yeah, I maybe think it's, I, no, I, I missed this part, but I, I think it's important. We're not just moms. I mean, that's the title, but I know I'm not a mom. We have lots of male supporters too. Um, so everyone's welcome in the movement. And, and yeah, it's like, you, it's a great place to just plug in um, and be given like concrete things to do. Right. Right. Cause I remember when we were talking a little bit before Glenda, you were saying that before you were part of mom's day man action, you weren't quite sure how to speak up and speak out. Exactly. Uh, I initially wrote letters after my sister's death to our elected officials. And for the most part, I got form letters back. And so as one person, I didn't feel like I was making a change. And I literally Googled, <laughs> I, I Googled every town and I got a response from moms and had a list of the next meeting and everything. So, and when I, I went into the room, I was probably one of two people of color, which, you know, but they, it, it was welcoming. Like, mm-hmm. we need you too. We need to hear your side of the story. It's not just about the mass shootings. It's about the shootings that we deal with every day. The moms that are losing their kids, the uh, kids that are losing their dads. And they were able to give me or allow me to be part of something bigger than just what I was trying to do. We were kind of on the same level. Um, I would not have known about going to lobby in Jeff City without this organization. Um, I w- I've been in contact with so many other groups in the community that people are 
perhaps not aware of. Uh, if you need information about any of this, this is the place to be, really. Yeah, and you mentioned your sister's death, and I think that's important if you're willing to share that for folks to realize sometimes the mass shootings get so much attention because they're so dramatic. Right. And that we sometimes fail to, to, to call out the names of individuals who are lost, and it's not a mass shooting. Right. My, my sister was killed within really a, a month of, of Michael Brown's death. And so pretty much she was left in the shuffle. Um, she's driving down Highway 70, probably 7-ish in the evening. And the, the law enforcement right now is saying that it was a case of mistaken identity. So we it's still an unsolved case. But that was my make it personal or get off the couch moment for me. because. She doesn't have a voice anymore. And this was my way, I guess, of honoring her with action. And I think we talk about that, too. If, if this is... Your family member doesn't have a voice anymore. And as well as the sadness that you have because you lost them, there's a lot of anger there, too. And so this is a way of, of channeling that in a, a positive way and helping other families. There, we, were, we met in D.C., this past weekend, and there were 700 survivors, 700 survivors that we were able to, to talk about the emotions that we were going through, why we were here, um, ways of dealing with the, the downtime that you have. A lot, a lot of us are busy with our work life and our kids and stuff, but this is our outlet in a way. Yeah. This is our way of... of of saying that our kids matter too, or our, our family members matter. Now, my parents are 79 and, and 82 right now. And to watch them deal with that, that's, that's not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. um, we learn from our parents, and, and one of the things that I became really aware of, nobody teaches you how to deal with this. Because this is, not an ex you know, this is something that you don't expect to ever have to deal with. Um, I remember calling my nephew, my sister's younger son, he was in his second year of college, and trying to explain to him what happened to his mother and feeling so bad because I knew that the amount of family members we had in town, we were kind of there for each other. But he's like 100 miles away, and he's, he has to deal with this on his own in the middle of the night, so to speak, because my kids were so afraid that Facebook we break the information to him overnight. Right. They're like, we need to talk to him now so that when he wakes up in the morning, this is not what, what comes across his newsfeed. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's happened to people that I've talked to, that they right. find out that their kid is dead through Facebook because right. the friends are, you know, rest in peace, whoever. And this is how the parents know before the law enforcement gets to the parents. Right. Gosh, so this is, this is the technology. This yeah. is how we're living now. Right. Right. So, And I think sometimes people don't think about, with gun violence, they think about the individual life that was lost. And maybe they think about the parents losing their child. But we often don't think about the siblings, the extended family, and like the waves of grief that they have to manage. Mm -hmm. There's an uh, organization, Shiraz Gorman, has started Sibling Support Network. Are you okay. familiar with it? I'm not familiar with it. So that. I can share information. We can put it up on the on the screen. But she lost her sibling to gun violence, her brother. And 
And she felt like there was a void. People weren't talking about what it's like to lose a sibling in this way. And that that is a a special kind of grief that deserves attention. So she started Sibling Support Network for that reason. Because we kind of have to pick up the slack. Obviously, my my nephews don't have a mother anymore. So I've got a surrogate now. They're young. You know, they were in their young adult. They're still in their 20s. My uh, younger nephew is in New York, wants to be an actor. The backfire that happened in New York a couple of days ago. Yeah. He works in that area in a theater. And, and he said people panicked and they were running in there. He didn't know what was going on. And then he's having kind of having nightmares now. He's calling to check on us. Right. I didn't realize he was in a location where that happened. Yeah. But this is the one I had to call when he was away at school. So just the, the things that are happening, particularly this week. People are in a panic. The guy in Springfield. Right. So for those who aren't in Missouri, and I, th- I feel like it's made national news, but yeah, there definitely. was a there was a young man, I think he was 20, who walked into a Missouri Walmart um, with an assault rifle, actually had a handgun as well, and a lot of ammo. And uh, he was pushing a cart and videoing himself. And um, someone in Walmart pulled the fire alarm. Everyone left. And he left with those people. Not, I don't, I mean, I, I feel like really you didn't realize that you were the reason, like you were the chaos. And there was an off duty police officer who, or no, fire, firefighter, firefighter who um, held him at gunpoint and, and got him down while the police came. Um, but he basically said, Well, I, I can do this. And so I just wanted to see how people would react. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I, I think it's, interesting that it or sad (laughs) that it's legal to do this to just open carry a large weapon with so many magazines that the word for it Uh, such a large magazine uh, open carry outside and then into the walmart um and it just to me it demonstrates that we have this ideology that that we should be able to open carry but then when you see it in practice you see how dangerous that is, that it, it's not illegal until he picks up that gun and points it at someone. Um, and I, I think, Glenda, you made a great point earlier that if he had been black, he would be dead. Right. And I think there was a quote that said he was lucky to be alive as a white man. And to think about the, the racial implications of that is sobering, too. Yeah, I mean, these things intersect. Uh, we know that that's part of why the Black Panthers were seen as so... Uh, dangerous because Radical. they were caring, even though they were protecting their community, right? Like this, the the disparity in how we perceive someone with a weapon. Mm-hmm. And then also the disparity in terms of the type of weapon, right? Like the assault weapon versus the handgun. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a, there's a difference. There is a difference. And as a former military person, part of our training was to know what bullets do to people. When, when they're fired. And so that is only for killing people. That is not a hunting. It's nothing you hunt with. And if you really, in my opinion, if you need that to protect your family, then there is something wrong with your marksmanship. I'm just going to say that. Oh, so the assault rifle really serves no other purpose but to maim and kill people. You will not talk to any hunter that uses that to hunt with. That is for sport and for killing people. And what kind of sport would that be? 
I don't have any idea, but oh, okay. I have just no checking, idea. Just checking, because I'm, I'm clueless about guns. I have, Shooting ranges? That's, that's really a, for unarranged. And the, the, okay. the reason that that weapon was developed was for the military. And it, it was banned until, I believe, 2004. And there was the assault rifle ban. Right. And we saw, and we saw the death rates go, go down. Up. Right. When, when that was banned, we had less deaths. It's, it's, it's not banned anymore. And, and look at the damage that's going to our communities. Right. I want to pick up on something you said. You said as a veteran, and I think some people assume that folks who are in the military would be pro, uh, what would it be? Like, not just pro-gun, but like uh, not having a lot of legislation around gun rights. But I'm hearing you say, no, I have a respect for guns and what they do. And, and exactly. I'm not a gun owner, but the, the, in Missouri, because you're, you're no longer required to have a permit or training. All you have to do is be age appropriate to go purchase a gun, pretty much. Now, I'm just going to say this, too, for the people that stand on the Second Amendment and so forth. They are almost the line of defense for people having these type of weapons because they say, oh, Second Amendment means I have this right to bear arms, but it doesn't say you shouldn't be trained to bear arms. It doesn't say you shouldn't be licensed. None of that. I don't see any of that in that Second Amendment. But when you do that, you allow people that should not have guns have guns. If you're that safe gun owner, then you should really be on our side, in my opinion. Mm. So what would be the sensible legislation that you all think we should be pushing for? Yeah, as, as Moms Demand Action, we are bipartisan and and we support people's right to own a gun. And that's part of this country's history and culture. But there's certainly common sense things we can we can do together. Um, so bare minimum uh, is to have universal background checks, a background check on every gun sale. Um, over 90% of Americans support that, you know. Um, so right now in Missouri uh, and many states, it's legal to buy from an unlicensed seller without a background check um, or a private sale. So it's totally legal for me to meet somebody in a McDonald's parking lot and buy a gun without that background check. Um, so we need to close that loophole. Um, there's the Charleston loophole, which um, was that the shooting at the um, the church in Charleston. The shooter uh, had a background check, but right now the law is that if, if it takes more than three days for that background check to come back. So if the FBI's flagged it and it needs a little more research, but it takes more than three days, the person gets uh, approved automatically. Really? So is, this was Dylan Roof? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we need to close that. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, so, so there's things, you know, people say, oh, we just need to enforce the laws that we have. We already require background checks. We do, but there's some holes. So right. let's And they're let's not work universal. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're, oh, they change state by state. Right. Gotcha. So, so the House passed H.R. 8 uh, earlier this year. And it's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk for months. Uh, so, so right now we're really working to call the Senate back into session and and take up that bill and pass and it. What's in that bill that would that you all feel like needs to happen? Is that the in background checks? Mm -hmm. okay. that, that's just background checks, I believe. Okay. Um, the second real big priority for us, and I feel like this is just common sense, is is red flag laws, uh, and that would allow immediate family or law enforcement to ask a judge using due process to temporarily 
That's the key. Temporarily remove access to firearms from someone who has exhibited signs that they are a danger to themselves or to others. Um, so that could be used to prevent a mass shooting. Someone's posting manifestos and whatnot. Um, but, you know, mass shootings are less than 1% of gun deaths in this country. Right. Um, Two-thirds of gun deaths are suicides, and, and we don't talk about that enough. Um, so for someone who's exhibiting suicidal tendencies, um, if we could take guns out of their possession, they, I mean, we can save so many lives. So, so that's a law that can make a real difference, and it's passed in 17 states, and there's been demonstrable change, uh, being able to take guns out of people's hands who are a danger to themselves or others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you would say that as a psychologist, I often um, have a reaction when people want to just assume that all people who do mass shootings have mental health problems and that, you know, it's, that there's this direct causal link between having mental health problems and being violent, period. And it's just not true uh, that there's not that direct link. So having the mental health laws are good and important. But we can't we we can't and assume, and it's not the fact that all people who engage in gun violence are mentally ill. It's and, it's the opposite. I mean, they're more likely to be victims of crime exactly than to perpetrate it. Yeah. So that that uh, I know that the red flag laws are a way to maybe even like you said, if I see someone who's posting manifestos, I could say, hey, we need to flag them. Mm-hmm. I I feel like the conversation often goes to someone who has a mental health problem. And so I don't know, there's part of me that worries, like, what else, what else can we do to not continue to, like, stigmatize people who have mental health problems as the reason why we have mass shootings? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of what we've seen recently in terms of mass shootings, it's a lot of hateful rhetoric. It's a lot of racist, xenophobic rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people point to a lot of causes here of like mental illness or video games or all kinds of things. But the bottom line is it's access to guns in this country. Like there's, there's mental illness, there's violent video games in every country on earth, but it's this one that has uh, a, a rate of gun deaths that's 25 times higher than any other of our, our peer countries. What's the difference? I mean, I think it's pretty plain. The access to guns. Access to guns. Our access to guns. You're right. Yeah. And that's what was, I mean, it's not funny, but with the Walmart case that we were talking about, you know, Walmart said, oh, we're going to take away all the displays of the violent video games, which the psychological research would say that there's not, again, there's not a causal link between playing those games and engaging in the violence. Uh, but they didn't stop selling guns. They didn't stop selling ammunition. And Walmart's not the only place. Some of the change that you're pushing for could come through corporations making changes, right? Like Walmart could stop selling guns and selling ammunition. And they're not the only company, right? So does Moms Demand Action push in those ways or is it just more legislation? Well, I mean, some of our first wins were pushing corporations like Starbucks and Target to stop allowing open carry in their stores. Oh, uh, and, and we've made some real progress on that. We've, I think we've still been keeping the pressure up on Walmart. but. Uh, that's a, a continuing fight. I, I, I don't think we've pushed for them to stop selling guns. Uh, but like Dick's Sporting Goods last year changed their minimum age for buying a gun. And I believe they stopped selling those. The assault style rifles. Yeah. The, so, and, and, we, and then we really got the moms out <laughs> to do a lot of shopping there. You know, so, so we're supporting these corporations that are making change. Um, and 
I mean, overall, our our biggest focus is on legislation, but mm-hmm. we certainly I think corporate corporate actors can can make a difference, right? And that, I mean, that's important, right? To to not just put the pressure, but also give them the incentive, the reward that like you made this change, so right. we're going to push to support you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to go back to something you mentioned, Glenda. You said when you came to the meeting in St. Louis that you were like one of two people of color. I believe that that's sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> and there were maybe twenty five of us in the room at that time. Right. I went. It was four years ago. There were not as many participants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just needed to know that personally that what I was doing was going to affect change. And and as one person, it just was frustrating. Right. Well, and I, the reason I wanted to circle back to that is that sometimes people have, I've heard people talk about the, the movement in terms of preventing gun violence, that it often is predominantly white. I've heard that. And so how has your experience been? You said folks are welcoming, but what do you think we need to do to engage other black folks, other folks of color in the the visible movement? I think kind of meeting people where they are, and we are trying to maybe start meetings in the urban communities we're getting. We're not as much, I don't know, it's, it doesn't feel like we're as welcome there, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, right now we're meeting in a church in Kirkwood, and I think there's, Arnold, Missouri, or Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. St. Ba- Charles. St. Charles and maybe Baldwin. Baldwin. So those are the, like the outskirts of the urban areas, so to speak. Uh, we've had a few meetings on Union, and we just can't seem to get that much participation. So we're still working on that. I, I went to uh, National Night out Tuesday night, I think. And there are people that want to come to the meetings, but we're too far away. So we're trying yeah. to figure out a, a space now where pe- more people will show up. Right. Because we know this, uh, the communities are hurting. I don't know if some of it is, is time, some of it's location. So we're trying to figure some things out so that we can get more participants. Yeah, I can imagine it would feel like a long way to go to Kirkwood or Baldwin, right? right? And, and people, they're hurt. Uh, because sometimes they feel like they're getting overlooked, but we want them. Right. You know, that's the best way. We, we want everybody to have a voice. And you're over, are you over community, community engagement or you're working with community engagement? I guess more community outreach. Outreach. I guess that it covers a lot of things, but mm-hmm. more community outreach. And I think as a person of color, sometimes I might have an in where some other people wouldn't and to make those connections. Right. And maybe even thinking about, I can imagine the churches would be a real easy way in. Maybe. I think we've tried that and it hasn't gone well yet. Uh, They're allowing us to come in and do some Be Smart activities, which is teaching more gun safety to lock your weapons up if you own them and things like that. Um, The church in Kirkwood is has made itself available for over a year now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not made that connection with an inner city church yet. Mm. So mm-hmm. you know, if they hear and they, they want to reach out, we're open to it. Yeah, yeah. Or even thinking about what other community partners are are talking about gun violence that you could partner with. That seems important because disproportionately here in St. Louis, um, in terms of the city, right, Black folks are being impacted by gun violence. And I know... Probably economics has something to do with it. If you're working two jobs, maybe you don't have 
that hour. And what we like to stress is you can be effective in, in two minutes. Would we have two minutes, an hour, two hours? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as simple as, as texting, writing a text, and and that that's effective. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's making a phone call. Sometimes it's showing up to make a presentation. And I've talked to people that said, well, you know, I'm not really that good at speaking to crowds. And if I'm speaking to crowds, you can do this. <laughs> I'm probably the most introverted person in the organization. And I have found my voice. If folks want to get involved in actions, what's coming up? How can they engage? Uh, so the weekend of August 17th and 18th across the country, we are having rallies. Um, and in St. Louis, ours will be Saturday, August 17th at the Arch at noon. And it's just an hour. We're going to be calling on our senators to pass that background checks bill and pass a red flag bill at the federal level. Um, And we'll have a lot of speakers and a lot of energy, and we hope to see people there. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, In terms of thinking about if folks want to get involved in the chapter and get support, if they've lost a loved one to gun violence, how would you tell them to connect? And what would you I would tell them to text. Uh, 63344-644-33. And that will connect them with the organization. And it doesn't even matter if you're in Missouri or you're in whatever state, they will connect you with the people in your state. Mm-hmm. And we do have a survivor support group. Um, and if you just need somebody to talk to this, just going through what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a really timely um, organization to highlight just because Unfortunately, we've had these mass shootings in St. Louis. We've had, we've lost a number of young people, a number of young kids this summer to gun violence. And it's something that I just felt like we need to be raising to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that raising equity that we try to push adults to realize is like kids aren't too young to talk about these big issues. So if you have any advice for adults who might be talking to kids like how would you explain to them that that they can they can engage in the issue like you mentioned maybe calling a senator right like we try to help adults think about all right what what could we frame for kids about this issue any thoughts about that i think it's important when you're going back to school maybe that that's part of the conversation as you do the uh to welcome back to school to talk about the mm-hmm. guns issues. Um, that would be one thing. Uh, we have some student demand action groups, and we will be mm-hmm. starting up some other groups. That's one of my goals after coming back from the conference, and particularly to get the urban schools involved. I think sometimes if we get the children involved, the parents follow. Sometimes we follow the kids because we want to know what they're doing. Um, so that would be that would be two things. And the other thing is is talking to kids one on one. Talk about some behaviors. You know, we all, I, I'm the mother of a, a 30-year-old son, so I know I've had conversations with my son on how to be safe, um, the, the groups that you hang out with and things like that, and we, and we have to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And maybe to not assume that they won't ever be around a gun, but just to assume that they will and to have the conversation. Right. Uh, that's part of our Be Smart organization where we talk about gun safety, you have a gun, lock it up without them, you know, keep the ammunition and the gun separate, things like that. And as part of our organization, that that's something that we have to push through. We know that a number of kids are killed accidentally because the gun 
it's loaded and the kids check it out. And that's sad all the way around. It but is. Think when, that, when it's preventable. Yeah. That yeah. responsibility falls to the parents to put that gun away safely. Um, so it's I mean, especially heartbreaking. I think I've heard stories of kids finding guns on the playground. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Uh, so right. if, the, if, if, if you run across a gun, go get an adult. Don't pick it up. Things for the little kids. And the older kids, I've, I've talked to parents, and this is kind of an urban thing where they felt like their kid wasn't safe if he didn't have a gun, unfortunately. You know, and, and part of being with this group is trying to meet people where they are. So don't so much judge if that's their opinion and they feel like they have to live that way. Talk to them about some alternatives. I think Better Family Life is doing a great job to de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Uh, let them know that there are other ways to do things, mm-hmm. but don't I, in a judgmental way. Yeah. And, and back to just the advocacy piece of it. Um, I, I, I really like that kids are always welcome at our meetings and our events. Um, in fact, I think it's really powerful when a, a mom walks into the state Capitol wearing their baby or something like that. Um, and it, so it's, modeling for kids that they have a voice too and they can they can be there walking alongside us um so that they feel like there's some action to take as well as you know just being affected by gun violence we usually have some voter registration going on too Mm -hmm. at some of our bigger events Mm -hmm. and an educated voter is probably (laughs) the best (laughs) the best we're going to do sometimes with the kids yeah and i also think it's the advocacy piece is important to highlight just so that they can understand that they don't just have to settle for the way things are, right? So they mm-hmm. might feel like right now in my neighborhood, I, I have to have a gun. I have to have a gun to be safe. But what could you do in terms of access to guns legislation so that that is not the case, so that's not the environment you're in? And that's part of what we want to do is help kids understand, okay, here are the, system, here are the systems that I could pr- press on to change the dynamics in my environment that I don't just have to be acted upon, but that I can actually be a uh, part of shaping and transforming mm-hmm. my world. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we can pretend like kids don't know about gun violence nowadays. I mean, no. in preschool, they're having to do active shooter trainings. So, so they know, I mean, let help them be part of that process. It's, it's my take. Like you just said, it's, there are ways they can act too, so they don't feel powerless and, yeah, it's tough. That's so true. I, I, in the course of my kids' life, those sort of actor shooter, active shooter drills have have become the norm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I heard one of my kids come home and talk about the plan. Right, like we're all gonna hide in the bathroom, and then, or we're all gonna pick up something and throw it at it. Like the, these plans, it's like they shouldn't have to be practicing. And mm-hmm. having drills for an active shooter, and the sad reality is, it's like if if that's going to happen, there's there we need to have a plan, yes, as adults, but there's like not much the kids can do. Right. Mm-hmm. They're they're helpless in a sense. I, I maybe that's just my mom speak of just feeling like no. Sandy I, I, Hook, Parkland. <sighs> I, I think about sometimes the resources that we use that probably when I was being educated <clears throat> that went to books teacher salary and the staff salary and now we're spending more money we're taking away from the books we're spending money on security things it should have 
really went to the kids' education. And to me, that's almost like we're putting money to defend the gun owners, but not to the books. Things that are, you know, mm-hmm. we want our kids educated. We're, we're spending a lot of money on other resources that 25 years ago went to teacher salaries and books and so forth. Right. Well, so we're changing because of the gun owners instead of changing for the kids. Well, and I think about it like more as a system. So yes, the gun owners, but like we're creating whole industries. Right? So now there are these safety pods that people can buy for the classroom. So like or the, yeah, or the bulletproof or backpacks. The, right. So, yeah, you so know, forth. we've created all these industries and and the system is protecting those folks t- who so have can, the guns. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're legislating we're, rather than legislating ourselves out of access to guns. We're creating whole new industries that support people's access to guns. Exactly. And again, I'm not saying people shouldn't have them, can't have them, but let's have some sensible, sensible legislation mm-hmm. so that we're not creating these offshoots and industries that we shouldn't have these pods right. in classrooms. No. We shouldn't have these assault weapons so that ki- right. Oh yeah. yeah let's but, be proactive, not reactive. Right. Yes. I, I remember when my sister was killed, one of the things I was writing that was about was, you know, that we have the ability, we're supposed to be this highly intelligent country. So there's an ability to have a, a gun where, it, where you put your fingerprint on it, it can be used. And then I learned <laughs> the NRA was like, they lobbied against that kind of stuff or, Maybe at this point, I didn't know exactly how my sister was killed. But if you have forensics and the gun can be traced back to the initial owner, why can't we sue that person? Because if they were so responsible, then they would have had their gun. They wouldn't have let it get into the criminal's hands. And then I looked, it came back to the NRA again. So that their lobbying has really prevented a lot of things that could have worked. We can't research it. It doesn't make sense that they're right. in control of the gun narrative. And I'm glad that over a period of time, it seems to have lessened. People are more aware of what the NRA has done that affects our day-to-day life. Well, I mean, and you bring up the good point that gun violence is a public health issue. And there's been legislation that's limited the CDC's ability, our governmental agency's ability to collect that data. To research it. Right. Well, you can't research if you don't collect it. Right. The the, the funding is not... It's not there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't research, then you can't find solutions that work. Yeah, it's maddening. So, it is. It's it's cyclical. And so, I, this is the stuff that I just had no awareness of. So over the, you know, my learning curve has just been probably crazy over the last, but I kind of like to know why things aren't happening. So it takes a lot of, it, it takes a lot of reading, a lot of, and every town has tons of research. They, mm-hmm. they lay out the facts for you. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you don't do anything else from this, maybe do a little, Google it, <laughs> and the information is there. Be educated about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on Raising Equity and sharing what you've learned, what you have advocated for. Um, and I think, Glenda, your point is well taken, right? So if you take anything from this episode, do some research and understand what the sensible legislation is that we could put forward to keep an El Paso or Dayton shooting from happening or keep the one-on-one gun violence from happening to limit access to guns so that we don't have the rates of gun deaths that we do in our country. Thank you both for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your stories and how people can get engaged in advocacy. 
Um, I hope you learned something. I know I did. And if you want to read more, you can visit the websites of Moms Demand Action um, and Everytown. So I encourage you to not only learn, but also think about how you can engage the kids in your lives in these topics. Help them to see how they can be actors in getting to a space and a place where we do not have the rampant gun violence in our country that we have today. We can do it if we're willing to raise equity. So thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time on Raising Equity.